Dallas Super Kings. Locations in Spanish Fork, American Fork, St. George, and coming soon to Riverton. They've got all your chicken sandwich needs covered. Check them out online, superchicks.com. And remember, that's superchicks with an X. On this episode, we've got a short turnaround to the next game, so I will recap the Utes' impressive win over Sacramento State. I'll tell you what I liked, what I didn't like. We'll look ahead to Bethune-Cookman, and I'll give you some of my thoughts on an interview given this week by a former running Ute on the current state of the Utes, and specifically recruiting. I'll also spin you around the Pac-12 and talk about the results from this weekend's games and what lies ahead for each team. Well, first things first. The running Utes are 2-0 after dismantling Sacramento State 89-56. to Friend of the podcast, Brandon Carlson, added 21 points with one board, two assists, and two blocks. Those two blocks now move him to 88 career blocks and put him 10 away from the top 10. He is chasing Sean Green, who was at 98. Booth Gotch made his season debut with 11 points and three assists. Marco Anthony had six points, six assists, and hello... 16 rebounds. Raleigh Wooster and Lazar Stefanovic both added 9 points. David Jenkins Jr. had 7. A lot of guys got involved in the game and it was really great to see. Definitely a lot to like from this performance. Here's my list of things I liked. Well, at the top of the list, it's Brandon Carlson, right? He really set the tone early by getting into double figures relatively quickly. He played with confidence. He drove to the basket. He moved really well. He avoided foul trouble after fouling out against Abilene Christian. And you can just tell in the way that he's playing and the way that he's carrying himself that he's made a lot of strides in his game and he's got a lot of confidence that he's playing with right now. Marco Anthony, anytime a 6'5 guy can pull down 16 boards, he's going to make the list. Marco does a little bit of everything and he's really that Swiss Army knife type player that Utah hasn't had in quite some time. He's a guy who can score, but doesn't need to in order to impact the game. He also drew the assignment of guarding Sacramento State's best player, Bryce Fowler, and kept him in check most of the night. Fowler finished, I believe, with about 12 points. The rebounding edge. So for the second consecutive game, Utah was up in the 50s in rebounding. And so through two games, they are now averaging 55 rebounds per game, which ties them for sixth in the NCAA. And as I tweeted out the other night... Stop the count. Or maybe let's get through Bethune-Cookman and then stop the count. Booth Gotch. Really liked what I saw from Booth Gotch in his debut. First of all, I'm glad the NCAA came to its senses and cleared him. Second, he's just got all the potential in the world. And I think for the first time, he's actually in an offensive system that is going to allow him to thrive. It's very clear that he is a guy that needs the ball in his hands to get going. Not necessarily even as a point guard, But he's just a guy that needs the ball in his hands. And I think that Craig's free-flowing system, more spacing, all of that stuff, I think is going to be really beneficial to him. Plus, I really like the spark that he could provide this team off the bench. So Booth Gotch, definitely one of the things that I liked about this win. I liked how many guys played. Uh, I know that some folks don't like Joe Cravens very much, but I thought he made a pretty astute comment when he said, You've got to work at building your bench. Now, that sounds simple, but it makes a ton of sense, right? You can't expect your bench guys to come in and play well in bigger games or league games if you aren't giving them that opportunity early. And so to that end, I really like what we saw from guys like Lazer Stefanovic, Boston Hold off the bench. Boston is going to have a role on this team. I'm just not quite sure what it is yet. 
But he comes in, he's really athletic, he really works. Even Dushan, who is going to be a rotation guy and only had two points, came in off the bench, had five rebounds. The effort plays that we are seeing from these guys is incredible early on in this season, even when the points are not coming for them. I love the way the guys ran the floor tonight. Going back to Brandon Carlson, he was out there hustling on both sides of the floor, offense, defense, and we saw him get rewarded for it. And these effort plays in closer games, those are the things that make all the difference. Even some of the guys who struggled tonight or who struggled in the first game really got after it through their hustle plays and other things, and I think that that stuff pays dividends down the road. Turnovers. They did a much better job of not turning the ball over. They had nine in the first half and 14 for the game, so they really did a good job of taking care of the ball, not as many offensive fouls, and especially after halftime, they really tightened up those turnovers when they could have gotten a little bit more sloppy because they had such a big lead. They didn't do that. And I think that's a sign of a team that's maturing, playing well together, and is listening to their coaching. And then the defense. For the second straight game, Utah held its opponents under 40% shooting from the field, 313 to be precise, and under 20% from the three-point line. Nothing came easy for Sacramento State in this game, and that really showed. Okay, on to the list of things I didn't like from this performance for the Utes. And there weren't that many. And again, in a 30-point lead, or 30-point win, you're nitpicking a little bit. But hey, that's why we're here. We're here to break this kind of stuff down. I thought Raleigh Wooster struggled a bit with pressure. I'd be interested to know if the coaches thought that was more on him for not getting the ball out quickly enough or dribbling into tough spots or if it was on his teammates for not coming up to help him. As the point guard, though, you've got to be able to handle some of that pressure, and especially when you get up against more athletic guards like we're going to see in the Sunshine Slam, like we're going to see through the conference, that's going to be an area where he's really going to be tested and you've got to be able to handle that pressure. Uh, Felt like Riley Batten struggled for the second straight game. Now, he had eight points and ten boards in the first game, six points and five boards in the second game. So those are still two decent performances, but I'm just wondering if we need to look at him not necessarily as a scorer so much, or at least not as a primary scorer for this team, and look to all of the other things that he does well. He gets in there, he rebounds, he draws fouls, he hustles. Something to keep an eye on for sure. They only turned Sacramento State over eight times in this game. Credit to Sacramento State for not turning it over, especially in such a tough performance. But in a game where you're making it hard for your opponent to score, turning up that defensive pressure would have been nice to see just a little bit more. Uh, Free throws. So they improved from 65% to 72% on their free throws. But I feel like every time they go to the line, you can really only count on one free throw going in. And this is a team that needs to be up in that 80 to 85 to 90 percent free throw percentage. You think about Oregon State last year when they made their big run. They were one of the best teams, them in Colorado. They were some of the best teams in the nation at free throw percentage. And again, those are the small things that are going to make a big difference. So they were 26 of 36 from the line, which again, not terrible. But if you're getting 36 opportunities at more points, you got to take advantage of that. The first two minutes of the game. So for the second consecutive game, Utah did not have a basket in the first two minutes of the game. That's fine against the current competition right? But 
That's not going to cut it when we get to the Sunshine Slam. It's not going to cut it against BYU, TCU, Missouri. Certainly not in Pac-12 play. So I'd like to see the team start a little bit faster, get out on a you know on a fast break or draw up some kind of easy play right out of the gate and get those baskets early. And then finally, I didn't like that Gabe Madsen was out injured. You hate to see guys this early on in the season not being able to play, not being able to get these really valuable minutes. Joe Cravens said on the broadcast that he'd be out a couple weeks. That's going to be something to, you know, just keep an eye on here as we go into the next week's worth of games. And there's three this week, technically. Just something to keep an eye on. But yeah, didn't like to see Gabe Madsen out. All right, so again, overall, really nice outing for the Utes. No letdown. They were still the superior team. They played like it from the jump, and even though guys like David Jenkins weren't primary scorers, we were able to see other guys step up, and that's what they're going to need as they go through this season and this schedule. Now, if you're interested, Utah moved up to 81 in the Ken Palm rankings after this victory. Okay, up next, a couple of thoughts on the Britton Johnson interview with Spence Checkett's earlier this week, and then we'll preview Monday's game against Bethune-Cookman right after these words from one of our sponsors. All right, everybody, I want to tell you about Registered Physical Therapists, RPT Utah. These guys are committed to getting you back to work and play fast. Their skilled physical therapists offer a wide variety of services, including surgical and non-surgical orthopedic injuries, spine injuries, headache relief, balance training, and women's health. With nine locations along the Wasatch Front, they've got all your physical therapy needs covered, Go to their website and schedule an appointment today. It's rptutah.com. That's rptutah.com. All right, we are back here on the Running Hoops podcast, and I just wanted to dive in a little bit more into this past week's recruiting miss on Colin Chandler after he signs with BYU. Spence Checkets on ESPN 700 had former Ute Britton Johnson on his show, as he often does when something happens relative to BYU and Utah to get his thoughts on Utah missing out on Chandler and his thoughts on Craig Smith, state of the program, stuff like that. And if you haven't listened to this interview, please do so. It's at ESPN700.com, at ESPN700 on the Twitter. And you can follow Spence at Spence Check. It's all one word on the Twitter. And if you do listen to this interview, he starts in on the Chandler stuff at about the 541 Mark. So the first thing he talks about, and I was going to share the audio with you, but it's a, it's a little bit disjointed and it would be hard to isolate some clips in a reasonable way. So I'm just going to kind of recap it for you and then give you my thoughts. But the first thing he talks about is something that we've covered on the podcast here, something that a lot of people talk about, and that is that Utah has an attendance problem right now. And BYU doesn't. Now, look, you, you know you know who hangs banners on attendance are teams like the Washington Mystics. So that's not exactly something to hang your hat on. However, I think that's something that we certainly need to address and that Utah has a problem with right now. Obviously, we've got curtains down, can't even fill a lower bowl. So there are certainly some issues that need to be worked through with Mark Harlan and some of the other athletics direct administrators There's definitely an attendance problem, and there's definitely a larger problem here. Now, if you'll follow this logic, if you'll follow this reasoning and this line of thinking for just a minute down a little bit of a rabbit hole, I was listening to a podcast this week about my favorite professional football team, the Washington football team, and the erosion of the fan base over a 20, 30-year period 
apathy, poor ownership, etc. has led to this team losing just a chunk of its fan base. And I think that you can draw a parallel to Utah basketball, right? We are in what? The 17th year post Rick Majerus. And for the most part, it's been pretty bleak with a few really great moments sprinkled in here and there. You've also got the rise of the football program and the steadiness of gymnastics. So you've got fans of Utah athletics out there, but they're electing to spend their time and money elsewhere. And let me just add that I don't think that the expectation is necessarily to get back to big Rick levels, but certainly more consistency, more winning, more competing, better opponents, all of that stuff. That's what fans are looking for right now. And I think the good news is, is unlike a professional football team or a professional team, period, I don't think Utah has lost these fans for good. I think you can get them back. And it starts with a good product. Look, if you read Twitter over the last two games over against Dabbling Christian and against Sacramento State, people are enjoying what they're seeing out of this program right now and out of this product just through two games. It's exciting. The guys are getting after it. They're diving on the floor for balls. The offense is moving. All of that stuff. And so Craig is taking care of that part of it. You got to get a good product. And then you got to win. They're 2-0, and baby. So the winning is, we're on our way. We're on our way. Then you've got to get compelling matchups. Enter the Alliance. And also Eric Peterson. So you put all of that together. And then you're talking about a place that the top players in the state want to come play. Now, we're just at the beginning of that, so there's going to be a little bit of writing this out that we're just going to have to deal with in terms of recruiting. We're weathering a storm right now, but I do believe that there is an opportunity for the program right now and in the next few years to get back some of the fan base that has eroded, and in the meantime, you've got to get people to the John M. Huntsman Center by hook or by crook. If people aren't using their tickets, give them away or make contests so that Students can get some floor seats. You know, just create a a more exciting atmosphere or a reason for people to go outside of, well, I want to support the basketball team. That is a noble, noble reason, but it's not necessarily something that's going to get all of the muss that comes out for football games to come to the basketball game. So you've got to bridge that gap a little bit. Okay, so let's continue here. And here's where it gets interesting. And I'm just going to give you some bullet points of things that he said then react to them, and then we can all draw our own conclusions. But here's here's what he said. Now, he first plainly and clearly stated, and Spence followed up on this, that if Utah had hired Chris Burgess, Colin Chandler would be a Ute. Full stop. That's what he said. There was no misunderstanding of what he said. That's what he said. He also said that, that Mark Pope is a great salesman, and he was able to paint a picture of what it's going to be like for Colin Chandler and other players at BYU. He mentioned that it was gut-wrenching for the family for him to go to BYU. He mentioned that NIL had nothing to do with it, though he also mentioned that BYU had a lot of great supporters like Ryan Smith that are willing to, quote, step in and help. So I'm not totally sure where he draws that line. And then he notes that he wishes that there was more that he could do. And he referenced the loner situation, and he wishes that he would have been asked to do more by the program. And then he said that when he was being recruited, Van Horn was shoulder to shoulder with him. They need to get more former players involved. All of these things, right? We've heard the same refrain now through two recruiting losses for Utah. The loner situation, and obviously Colin Chandler. So 
I'm going to take these just one by one and go through them. So, Chris Burgess, look, I don't know how you can definitively say one way or the other that hiring Chris Burgess changes this thing, unless he's the head coach. I think that it doesn't change the inherent problems that Utah has right now in building back their eroded fan base. It doesn't change the fact that you're still asking Colin Chandler to be the first piece of this whole rebuild. And for better or for worse, you hired Craig, and you've got to let him build it this way. And at the end of the day, you know, this is this is what we have. And if Chris Burgess really swings the pendulum that much in a recruiting battle, he's not going to be at BYU for long. He's going to be at his own program, running things his way and being a head coach somewhere. So I think that that's a little bit of an overstatement. Again, Britton knows these people, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize him for saying it or for believing it. I just don't know that we're at the point where we could say that one person was going to make all of the other challenges of coming to Utah right now go away. That's all I'll say about that. So then next he says that, you know, Mark Pope is essentially Big Tom Callahan from Tommy Boy right now, and he can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves. And I'm not going to argue that point per se. He's gotten Loner, he's gotten Chandler, he's gotten some portal guys. He obviously is a good salesman. He He knows how to push the right buttons for a player and for their parents, and he's doing a good job. Now, the question for Pope is going to be, does somebody bigger come calling? I know that there's a lot of excitement around BYU going to the Big 12, but even so, that's a step up in competition. It's still two years away, and Pope's going to be a hot name coming out of this season, would be my guess. Uh, As far as the family and NIL stuff, I'm not going to touch that. That is what it is. If he says it's got retching for them, I believe him. And and then there's this whole player involvement thing. And I'd really love to hear more concretely from this uh, on this from Britain and from other former players. Does it really require him? He's moved to St. George. Does it really require him to come up on this kid's scheduled visit in order to, quote, help? I, I don't know. Maybe. Look at M- Milo Suzan's recruitment. DeLon Wright was tweeting at him as often as he could. And I don't think that DeLon, who is in the NBA right now, an active NBA player, I don't think that DeLon being on campus for Milos's visit was going to change the fact that Oklahoma offered his dad a job. And DeLon still felt compelled when he could, right? He did what he felt like he could do, which was tweet at the kid, tell him he looked good and red, tell him that Utah's an amazing place to play, all of that stuff. So I'm not saying that the program shouldn't reach out to the guys that played here and get them more involved. They absolutely should. You've got guys like Parker Van Dyke, hero of men, who is very, very involved. Jeremy Olson, very, very involved. A lot of these other guys, they're around, they want to be around, certainly reach out to them and get them to help, but I'm just not sure that there's this extra step that necessarily needs to be taken with some of these former players who think that, you know, it would give them Utah a much better chance of landing a recruit if they had them up on campus with them. But again, just my thought. In any event, it was an interesting interview. I would love to talk to Britton myself and explore this further. Because I think that he and I are pretty aligned on a lot of these things that need to happen to get the program back to where we want it to be. But for now, here we are. We've got one scholarship left for next year, and we'll see what happens. All right, Utah plays Bethune-Cookman on Monday night. 
as the on-campus game for the Sunshine Slam, and here are five things that you need to know about Bethune-Cookman. Number five. Bethune-Cookman is coached by Reggie Theus, who is also the athletic director at the school. Theus has a career record of 94 and 128 in six seasons between New Mexico State and Cal State Northridge. Theus replaced their old coach sort of at the last minute in the summertime, and they didn't play last season. So this gets us to our number four thing. They didn't play last season. As a result of that and the coaching change, they had nearly 100% roster turnover. It's not quite 100%, but it's close. Number three, they are 0 for 2 on the year with two 20-point losses to South Florida and Middle Tennessee State. Now, in the case of South Florida, they were actually tied with them at the half, but ultimately they lost by 20. Number two, they were picked to finish 10 out of 12 teams in the SWAC in the preseason. So expectations for this Bethune-Cookman squad are remarkably low. And number one, they added transfers from a bunch of mid-majors to fill out their roster. Now, as far as their schedule goes, Utah is Bethune-Cookman's third straight road game to start the season. And not surprisingly, most of their non-conference schedule is on the road, including games with Seton Hall and NC State. Now, obviously, one thing we know about these SWAC schools is that this is how they fund their athletic program. This is a little bit different because it's a Sunshine Slam piece of it. But they fund their athletic program by getting these buy games on these you know, major schools so that these major schools can use them as a tune-up for other big, bigger games. Now, interestingly enough, they play a home game against Liberty, and then they get Bryant in Daytona Beach. They are currently ranked 355. Whew in the Ken Palm rankings, which is fourth from the bottom, and they are joined in the bottom five by fellow SWAC teams, Arkansas Pine Bluff and Missouri Valley State. So not a game that's going to help your net ranking at all. Now, who is the head of the snake, the HOS? I'm going to go with Joe French. Joe French is a sophomore guard from Orlando, Florida, who is actually one of two players who have stuck it out at Bethune-Cookman through this last canceled season and the coaching change. Joe is averaging 16 points per game in the two losses this season, and he shoots 42% from behind the arc. It's pretty impressive when you think about what this kid's been through, that he's now coming out the other side of it, and he's really leading this team. And I think he's going to be a tough guard. Probably another guy that Marco Anthony is going to guard. Now, what are the analysts saying about this one? Well, Ken Palm, at Ken Pomeroy on Twitter, has Utah winning comfortably 85-56, to and Eric Haslam at Haslam Metrics on Twitter, gives Utah the victory 86-58. to So the expectations from the analytics guys, at least, are that Utah heads to Daytona to face Boston College 3-0. All right, so let's spin you around the Pac-12 and let you know what's gone on the last couple of days. Arizona State on Thursday, November 11th, lost a mid-court, not even mid-court, a beyond mid-court buzzer beater to UC Riverside, 66-65. to I've got an early hunch that Cal and Stanford may be in the sweepstakes for UC Riverside's head coach. His name is Mike Magpio. He's a guy that I had on my shortlist for the Utah coaching job, but I think he still was a little bit raw. But just an incredible shot, an incredible victory. On Friday night, some big showdowns in the Pac-12, which was highlighted by... UCLA number two hosting number four Villanova. It looked like this one was going Villanova's way for most of the game, but UCLA was able to push it into overtime, and then they really put their foot on it and got the win 86-77 in overtime. So UCLA gets the first big 
non-conference win for the Pac-12. And again, just continues to have a great ranking and Kent Palm, and I'm sure they'll be good in the net as well when that comes out. Oregon thumped SMU 86-63. Oregon State lost one of their big opportunities in the non-conference 60-50. And Arizona and Washington State both won easy games at home. And then Stanford, we just talked about them potentially looking for a new coach. Well, here's why. They lost to Santa Clara 88-72. Now, I'm not going to hammer Stanford too hard for this game because I admire the fact that they played it. It was on the road against a decent Santa Clara team. It's a team that kind of causes teams problems in the West Coast Conference from time to time. And so I admire Stanford for playing this game, but you got to win it. And then on Saturday, the big win in the non-conference for the Pac-12 USC beat Temple 76-71. That was a true road game. So a good one there for USC. Colorado outlasted New Mexico 87-76. That was a really entertaining game. If you remember Jalen House from Arizona State, he's now at New Mexico and he can really fill it up. That was fun. Cal lost its second game of the year, uh, 55-52 to UNLV. Coming up on Monday, no real big games in the non-conference. You could probably point to Oregon State and Tulsa as being one that Oregon State probably needs to win. But a lot of the teams in the conference are in action, so it'll be fun to get back after it. And, of course, the Utes host Bethune-Cookman at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, and that game is on the Pac-12 Network. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the Running Hoops podcast. I want to thank you for listening. Please give us a follow on Twitter, at Running Hoops. Subscribe, download, tell your friends. Until next time, I'm Andrew Crowley, and this is Running Hoops Podcast. As always, go Utes!